There's a new documentary on Netflix that I'm obsessed with. It's called The Great Hack. And it is all about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and their role in the Trump and Brexit campaigns. At one point, they claim to have had 5,000 data points on every U.S. voter. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> and also, I'm going to talk about coffee shaming. Yeah, apparently that's a thing now. Welcome to the Coffee Buzz. I am Brad and thank you for joining me. Hope you're having a great day. Uh, noticing a trend out there. It's uh, emerging in the financial guru community. It's known as coffee shaming. <laughs> and Susie Orman, I, I guess, is the first one, uh, the most outspoken. She is uh, apparently complaining all the time about these kids and their silly $5 lattes. And uh, she's not alone in her view. It's uh, the old guard of like the personal finance. Uh, they spent a few years now like turning the habit of buying coffee into like a shorthand for extravagance by young Americans. Um, Dave Ramsey says that uh, basically giving up a latte is one of the four keys to saving thousands of dollars. And even the Twitter account for um, Chase Bank has a meme uh, that a failure to brew coffee at home is why young people don't have any money. And this is usually about the time that young people usually point to things like uh, student loan debt and housing prices as the real source of, you know, generational instability, not their, you know, $100 a month cold brew habit. <laughs> uh, to me, this really is a generational attack, you know, because if you think about it, uh, Starbucks went from back in 94, they went from uh, 500 shops to 14,000. And so anyone under 40 doesn't really know of a world where high-end coffee isn't prevalent all over the place. I mean, good coffee costs money. Let's, let's face it. And occasionally, you know, you have to treat yourself. It's just one of those things that makes life worth living sometimes. It's just one of those special things that gets you through the day. Um, there was a time in my life where I had to kind of take a look at how much I was spending at the coffee shops. And when I did the math, I said, okay, I could probably cut that out because it was to Dave Ramsey's credit, it was a few thousand dollars a year. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and uh, so I did start taking their advice of brewing most of my coffee at home. But I really don't think that buying a $5 coffee five days a week is going to be the difference between financial ruin or success and to me what this is is just an easy way for these um, for these financial experts to fill up their blogs and their interviews um, and I'm not saying that they don't know their stuff obviously they do 
but on this, I think they're just being kind of grumpy old people. <laughs> that happens when you drink Folgers crystals your whole life, you know? You got to get some good dark espresso in your life sometimes. Um, and I also think that their core demographic, you know, likes millennial bashing. You know, it's it's a crowd pleaser. You know, it's their... Uh, it's their sweet home Alabama, you know. If they can make fun of millennials at some point in their show, the rest of their audience, I'd say probably 80% of it, uh, you know, gets all excited. And I hear it all the time, actually. People complaining, uh, usually it's baby boomers, complaining about millennials. And I don't get it. Um, it seems like every generation, you know, thinks that, the new one is just going to ruin the world. <laughs> they did the same thing with Gen X, uh, my generation, you know, back when we were 18 to 25, uh, you know, they called us apathetic and lazy and, and now it's on to the millennials. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. Aren't, aren't most people a little apathetic and lazy in their early twenties? And I'm sure the boomers got it from their parents too. Uh, you know, I bet they said things to them like, oh, you kids go into your, you know, your drive-in movie theaters, watching movies outside. What are you thinking? Stay at home, watch TV or listen to the radio. <laughs> you know, why are you spending all your money on this, uh, this fast food thing? Just, just cook your food at home. You know, use your oven, you lazy kids. <laughs> I think, uh. I think this hostility is more fear than anything else. You know, they see a younger generation coming in that's coming of age and, and starting to enter the workforce and they do things differently than, than their generation, the boomers and they're getting old and getting old is scary. You know, it's uh, it is not for the weak of heart, <laughs> but it beats the alternatives. Let's face it. Um, I, I did hear this guy recently on, uh, on, on the rise podcast and, uh, he's got a book called the latte factor. His name is David Bach. And he makes the argument that we all have something, um, maybe a few things that we could cut back on and invest that money in a tax deferred account. That's his whole thing. And in the book, you know, basically says it, it, it's called the latte factor, but it doesn't necessarily attack coffee. It's just saying there's something in your spending habits that you could probably change and use that money to, you know, better your financial situation. And his book basically has three steps. Uh, they're not groundbreaking, but it, it was pretty good. Um, Number one, pay yourself first. That's eh, no big revelation. We've been hearing that all our lives. Um, but it's still solid advice. Um, he says to invest one hour each day. So basically what you do is you put aside at least one hour of wages each day into that investment account. And I like this idea. He says don't budget, make it automatic. Um, you know, just set that draft up and... Let that 401k pile up or your IRA, whatever you, uh, whatever you choose. All right. 
Time for me to partake in uh, some coffee that Susie Orman probably would not approve of. So uh, I'll be right back. sure by now everybody's heard of the face app uh this that's the photo sharing uh that's the app that makes you look old everybody it seemed like uh at least a few weeks ago i was just seeing it everywhere and uh it uses artificial intelligence to to do that it's a some sort of face transformation uh that happens and it's raised some questions because this app has been out for a few years now and all of a sudden it, it just blew up and uh, almost overnight. And some people point out, some people have kind of uh, freaked out over what all you give up when you download the app. People have also pointed to the origins of the app. It's uh, FaceApp is owned by a company, Wireless Lab, that is based in St. Petersburg. So, you know, it <laughs> coming from Russia, you just never know. Um, it collects information and uh, about users' browsing history. They say it's a way to improve the service somehow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd buy that. They get access to your photos, although they say they don't use them. And then there's also, they have access to all your contacts, every post that you make. Um, <laughs> it's kind of creepy. And they, and this happens for an indefinite process. You know, they just leave it turned on. It says in their policy that, you know, they will not sell your information to third parties outside of FaceApp. It explicitly says that it shares information with third-party advertising partners <laughs> so they can deliver you those personally curated ads. And I do think that's, for the most part, what these companies are doing right now with this stuff is basically just trying to sell us more things. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure it works. Um, I get personalized ads all the time. And at first it kind of creeped me out. And it's both convenient and creepy at the same time. Um, but it does sort of bring up the controversy about privacy and practices. And uh, it's a sign that we may finally uh, be, be learning from Cambridge Analytica. I think if it hadn't been for Cambridge Analytica, we might not really notice, you know, when apps do things like this, uh, people are starting to actually read the terms and conditions now just to see what all they are giving up because really nothing in this world is ever free. Um, there's a great documentary on Netflix about Cambridge Analytica and uh, Facebook. It's called The Great Hack and it is, wow. <laughs> I know it's got a liberal slant to it, but um, it's still uh, mind-boggling just how 
information is collected and shared these days. Um, basically, the, the gist of the story uh, of the documentary is that this director, uh, he sets out on a mission to retrieve the data on himself that Cambridge Analytica collected. Um, they were basically, in my opinion, the Enron of data mining. <laughs> they claimed to have had 5,000 data points on every American voter. And they did this cleverly by having these online surveys on Facebook. And it's like a personality quiz or something. And people would take these quizzes. And when they did that, it just opened up the door to all their information. But not they didn't stop there. <laughs> Cambridge Analytica didn't stop there. They would then, anybody that was connected to that person, they would have access to their data as well. We're talking uh, messages, posts. I mean, it was status updates. Uh, it was likes even. <laughs> I mean, they know when I like that cat video, apparently. And then they target you not really as a voter, but more as a personality. You know, they built psychological profiles on every voter. I mean, they did the Obama campaign did micro targeting, um, you know, just like you do on any Facebook ad. You choose your demographic, your, you know, it's um, a feature to help you reach your audience. The major difference, though, is that the Trump team and uh, Cambridge Analytica committed a more serious ethical breach by, by using this deceptive app and data mining users without consent. The great hack, it, it captures how voters were targeted as more like consumers <laughs> whose uh, taste in a candidate could be manipulated by, by what we would think of as propaganda. Uh, they would have tailored custom-made videos just for people in those battleground states that hit their profile points. And they one, one of the, part of the movie, uh, one of the whistleblowers says that it was more of a, a propaganda machine than uh, you know a data research. Um, um, company like it like it purported to be what's crazy is the company was partially founded by Steve Bannon you know and he's a extraordinary propaganda man I don't agree with all of his politics but the guy is <laughs> he is um, very savvy in that respect our personal data has basically become a commodity um, it's collected, analyzed, and then it gets spit back to us in the form of targeted messaging, hoping that it changes our behavior. And according to one of the whistleblowers of the film, uh, Brittany Kaiser, she said that data passed up oil last year as the most valuable commodity. That's, that's insane. I had no idea that it was that that prized of a thing, you know what I mean? Cambridge Analytica also worked on the Brexit campaign. And the interesting thing about Trump and Brexit is that both those elections were won on a razor's edge <laughs> with margins. And uh, 
Cambridge Analytica, their task was to identify what they called persuadables. And the scariest part of this whole thing, of the film anyway, is that Cambridge Analytica worked on a campaign in Trinidad and Tobago back in 2013. They convinced the opposition of their client not to vote. <laughs> they did this by creating a bogus grassroots sort of anti-establishment campaign. And it had this uh, ironic slogan, do so. And the point, of course, was not to do so or to do anything, just not to vote at all. Um, they made it uncool for that side to vote. And it worked. Um, their client won that election. The CEO of uh, Cambridge Analytica, Alexander Nix, he has a mild way of describing their services. Uh, he says, they just provide useful information to voters that are undecided. <laughs> I like to think of myself as like independent, uh, free-willed individual that, you know, isn't swayed by social media or advertising, but I, come on, I, I don't think that's true anymore. Not after watching that movie. Um, I think we're probably more easily influenced than we might care to admit and our data is being weaponized. And unfortunately, we've got archaic laws that just aren't up to the task of holding these companies accountable. You know, they're, they were written for a time when we had posters and <laughs> billboards. And that was the way that you communicated, maybe some TV ads. And that was the way that you got your campaign message out. That's how you advertised. I really hope these lawmakers step it up and um, maybe we can get some younger politicians in there that that understand the uh, the nuances of all this. If anything, uh, this film has inspired me to actually read my terms and conditions on apps now before downloading, <laughs> especially if that app is free. Um, and I hear people that say they don't care if they're data is compromised. You know, I just want to get this picture of myself as a, as an older person. And, uh, to those people, I would say you really need to watch this documentary. <laughs> and besides, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just, uh, too old. Um, that's a, that's an app I think targeted for younger people because folks like me, uh, I don't have to really think about what I'm going to look like when I get old. I just look in the mirror and uh, it's already coming. It is knocking on my back door. I get more gray hair every time I turn around, but Hey, that's okay. At least I'm above ground, right? Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you next week. And it is not about left or right or leave or remain or Trump or not. It's about whether it's actually possible to have a free and fair election ever again. Because as it stands, I don't think it is. And so my question to you is, is this what you want? Is this how you want history to remember you? As the handmaidens to authoritarianism that is on the rise all across the world. Because you set out to connect people 
and you are refusing to acknowledge that the same technology is now driving us apart. And my question to everybody else is, is this what we want? To let them get away with it and to sit back and play with our phones as this darkness falls.